0: CHAPTERS THREE AND FOUR OF THE WHITE COWL BY JAMES LANE ALLEN. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. EVERY MORNING THE ENTIRE TRAPPIST BROTHERHOOD MEET IN A LARGE ROOM FOR PUBLIC CONFESSION AND ACCUSATION. HIGH AT ONE END SITS THE VENERABLE abbot. BESIDE HIM, BUT LOWER, THE PRIOR, WHILE THE FATHERS IN WHITE AND THE BROTHERS IN BROWN RANGE THEMSELVES ON BENCHES PLACED AGAINST THE WALL ON EACH SIDE. It was near the close of this impressive ceremony that Father Pallerman arose, and pushing the hood far back from his face, looked sorrowfully around upon the amazed company. A thrill of the tenderest sympathy shot through them. He was the youngest by far of their number, and likeliest therefore to go astray. But never had any one found cause to accuse him, and never had he condemned himself. Many a head, wearing its winter of age and worldly scars, had been lifted in that sacred audience chamber of the soul confessing to secret sin, but not he. So awful a thing is it for a father to accuse himself that in other self-abasement his brethren throw themselves prone to the floor when he rises. It was over the prostrate forms of his brethren that Father Palamon now stood up erect, alone unearthly spectacle he began his confession in the hushed silence of the great bare chamber his voice awoke such echoes as might have terrified the soul had one gone into a vast vault and harangued the shrouded dead but he went on sparing not himself and laying bare his whole sin the yielding to weariness in the garden the listening to the conversation most of all the harbouring of strange doubts and desires since then never before had the word woman been breathed at this confessional of devoted celibates more than one hooded faded cheek blushed secret crimson at the sound the circumstances attending father palaman's temptation invested it with an ancient horror the scene a garden the tempter a woman it was like some modern adam confessing his fall his penance was severe for a week he was not to leave his cell except at brief seasons every morning he must scourge himself on his naked back until the blood came every noon he must go about the refectory on his knees begging his portion of daily bread morsel by morsel from his brethren and must eat it sitting before them on the floor. This repast was reduced in quantity one-half. An aged deaf monk took his place in the garden. His week of penance over, Father Palamon came forth too much weakened to do heavy work, and was sent to relieve one of the fathers in the school. Educated there himself, he had often before this taught its round of familiar duties the school is situated outside the abbey wall on a hillside several hundred yards away between it and the abbey winds the road which enters the valley above and goes out below connecting two country highways Where it passes the abbey it offers slippery, unsafe footing on account of a shelving bed of rock which rises on each side as a steep embankment, and is kept moist by overhanging trees and by a small stream that issues from the roadside and spreads out over the whole pass. The fathers are commanded to cross this road at a quick gait, the hood drawn completely over the face, and the eyes bent on the ground one sultry afternoon a few days later father palamon had sent away his little group of pious pupils and seated himself to finish his work the look of unawakened innocence had vanished from his eyes they were full of thought and sorrow a little while and as though weighed down with heaviness his head sank upon his arms which were crossed over the desk but he soon lifted it with alarm one of the violent storms which gather and pass so quickly in the kentucky skies was rushing on from the south the shock of distant thunder sent a tremor through the building he walked to the window and stood for a moment watching the rolling edge of the low storm cloud with its plumes of white and gray and ominous dun-green colors suddenly his eyes were drawn to the road below around a bend a horse came running at full speed uncontrolled by the rider he clasped his hands and breathed a prayer just ahead was the slippery dangerous footing another moment and horse and rider disappeared behind the embankment then the horse reappeared on the other side without saddle or rider rushing away like a forerunner of the tempest he ran down When he reached the spot, he saw lying on the roadside the form of a woman, the creature whom his priestly vows forbade him ever to approach. Her face was upturned, but hidden under a great wave of her long, loosened brown hair. He knelt down, and, lifting the hair aside, gazed down into it. Ave Maria, Mother of God! The disjointed exclamations were instinctive. THE FIRST SIGHT OF BEAUTIFUL WOMANHOOD HAD INSTANTLY LIFTED HIS THOUGHT TO THE UTMOST HEIGHT OF HOLY ASSOCIATIONS. INDEED, NO SWEET FACE HAD HE EVER LOOKED ON BUT THE VIRGIN'S PICTURE. MANY A TIME IN THE LAST FEW YEARS HAD HE, IN MOMENTS OF RESTLESSNESS, DRAWN NEAR AND STUDIED IT WITH A SUDDEN RUSH OF INDEFINABLE TENDERNESS AND LONGING. BUT BEAUTY, SUCH AS THIS SEEMED TO HIM, HE HAD NEVER DREAMED OF he bent over it, reverential, awestruck. Then as naturally as the disciple John might have succored Mary, finding her wounded and fainting by the wayside, he took the unconscious sufferer in his arms and bore her to the schoolroom for refuge from the bursting storm. There he quickly stripped himself of his great soft cowl, and, spreading it on the bare floor, laid her on it, and with cold water and his coarse monk's handkerchief, bathed away the blood that flowed from a little wound on her temple a few moments and she opened her eyes he was bending close over her and his voice sounded as sweet and sorrowful as a vesper bell do you suffer are you much hurt your horse must have fallen among the rocks the girth was broken she sat up bewildered and replied slowly i think i am only stunned Yes, my horse fell. I was hurrying home out of the storm. He took fright at something, and I lost control of him. What uh, place is this? This is the school of the abbey. The road passes just below. I was standing at the window when your horse ran past, and I brought you here. I must go home at once. They will be anxious about me. I am visiting at a place not more than a mile away." He shook his head and pointed to the window. A sudden gray blur of rain had effaced the landscape. The wind shook the building. You must remain here until the storm is over. It will last but a little while." During this conversation she had been sitting on the white cowl, and he, with the frankness of a wondering innocent child, had been kneeling quite close beside her. Now she got up and walked to one of the windows, looking out upon the storm, while he retired to another window at the opposite end of the room what was the tempest-swept hill outside to the wild swift play of emotions in him a complete revulsion of feeling quickly succeeded his first mood what if she was more beautiful far more beautiful than the sweet virgin's picture in the abbey she was a devil a beautiful devil her eyes her hair which had blown against his face and around his neck were the devil's implements her form which he had clasped in his arms was the devil's subtlest hiding-place she had brought sin into the world she had been the curse of man ever since she had tempted saint anthony she had ruined many a saint sent many a soul to purgatory many a soul to hell perhaps she was trying to send his soul to hell now now while he was alone with her and under her influence it was this same woman who had broken into the peace of his life two weeks before for he had instantly recognized the voice as the one that he had heard in the garden and that had been the cause of his severe penance amid all his scourgings fasts and prayers that voice had never left him it made him ache to think of what penance he must now do again on her account and with a sudden impulse, he walked across the room and, standing before her with arms folded across his chest, said in a voice of the simplest sorrow, Why have you crossed my pathway, thus to tempt me? She looked at him with eyes that were calm, but full of natural surprise. I do not understand how I have tempted you. You tempt me to believe that woman is not the devil she is. She was silent with confusion. The whole train of his thought was unknown to her. It was difficult, bewildering. A trivial answer was out of the question, for he hung upon her expected reply with a look of pitiable eagerness. She took refuge in the didactic. "'I have nothing to say about the nature of woman. It is vague, contradictory. It is anything, everything.' but i can speak to you of the lives of women that is a definite subject some women may be what you call devils but some are not i thought that you recognized the existence of saintly women within the memories and the present pale of your church true it is the women of the world who are the devils you know so well the women of the world i have been taught I have been taught that if Satan were to appear to me on my right hand, and a beautiful woman of the world on my left, I should flee to Satan from the arms of my greater enemy. You tempt me to believe that this is not true, to believe that the fathers have lied to me. You tempt me to believe that Satan would not dare to appear in your presence. Is it because you are yourself a devil that you tempt me thus? should you ask me i am a woman of the world i live in a city of more than a million souls in the company of thousands of these women devils i see hundreds of them daily i may be one myself if you think i am a devil you ought not to ask me to tell you the truth you should not listen to me or believe me she felt the cruelty of this it was like replying logically to a child who had earnestly asked to be told something that might wreck its faith and happiness the storm was passing in a few minutes this strange interview would end he back to his cell again she back to the world already it had its deep influence over them both she more than he felt its almost tragical gravity and was touched by its pathos these two young human souls true and pure crossing each other's pathway in life thus strangely now looked into each other's eyes as two travellers from opposite sides of the world meet and salute and pass in the midst of the desert i shall believe whatever you tell me he said with tremulous eagerness the occasion lifted her ever serious nature to the extraordinary and trying to cast the truth that she wished to teach into the mould which would be most familiar to him she replied do you know who are most like you monks in consecration of life it is the women the good women of the world what are your great vows are they not poverty labour self-denial chastity prayer well there is not one of these but is kept in the hearts of good women Only you monks keep your vows for your own sakes, while women keep them as well for the sakes of others. For the sake of others they live and die poor. Sometimes they even starve. You never do that. They work for others as you have never worked. They pray for others as you have never prayed. In sickness and weariness, day and night, they deny themselves and sacrifice themselves for others as you have never done, never can do. You keep yourselves pure. They keep themselves pure and make others pure. If you are the best examples of personal holiness that may be found in the world apart from temptation, they are the higher types of it, maintained amid temptations that never cease. You are content to pray for the world. They also work for it. If you wish to see in the most nearly perfect form that is ever attained in this world love and sympathy and forgiveness, if you wish to find vigils and patience and charity, go to the good women of the world. They are all through the world, of which you know nothing, in homes and schools and hospitals, with the old, the suffering, the dying. Sometimes they are clinging to the thankless, the dissolute, the cruel sometimes they are ministering to the weary the heartbroken, the deserted no no some women may be what you call them devils she blushed all at once with recollection of her earnestness it was the almost elemental simplicity of her listener that had betrayed her into it meantime as she had spoken his quickly changing mood had regained its first pitch she seemed to rise higher to be a him and his ideals of duty. In his own sight he seemed to grow smaller, shrink up, become despicable, and when she suddenly ceased speaking he lifted his eyes to her, alas, too plainly now betraying his heart. And you are one of these good women? I have nothing to say of myself. I spoke of others. I may be a devil. For an instant through the scattering clouds the sunlight had fallen in through the window lighting up her head as with a halo it fell upon the cowl also which lay on the floor like a luminous heap she went to it and lifting it said to him will you leave me now they must pass here soon looking for me i shall see them from the window i do not know what should have happened to me but for your kindness and i can only thank you very gratefully he took the hand that she gave him in both of his and held it closely a while as his eyes rested long and intently upon her face then quickly muffling up his own in the folds of his cowl he turned away and left the room She watched him disappear behind the embankment below, and then reappear on the opposite side, striding rapidly toward the abbey. CHAPTER Four. All that night the two aged monks whose cells were on each side of Father Palamon's heard him tossing in his sleep. At the open confessional next morning he did not accuse himself. The events of the day before were known to none there were in that room but two who could have testified against him one was father palamon himself the other was a small dark red spot on the white bosom of his cowl just by his heart it was a blood stain from the wounded head that had lain on his breast through the dread examination and the confessions father palamon sat motionless his face shadowed by his hood his arms crossed over his bosom hiding this scarlet stain what nameless foreboding had blanched his cheek when he first beheld it it seemed to be a dead weight over his heart as those earth stains on the hem had begun to clog his feet that day he went the round of his familiar duties faultlessly but absently without heeding his own voice He sang the difficult ancient offices of the church in a full volume of tone that was heard above the rich unison of the unerring choir. When at twilight he lay down on his hard narrow bed, with the leathern cincture about his gaunt waist, he seemed girt for some lonely spiritual conflict of the midnight hours. Once in the sad tumult of his dreams his outstretched arms struck sharply against some object and he awoke. It was the crucifix that hung against the bare wall at his head. He sat up. The bell of the monastery tolled twelve. A new day was beginning. A new day for him? In two hours he would set his feet, as evermore, in the small circle of ancient monastic exactions. Already the westering moon poured its light through the open windows of the abbey and flooded his cell. He rose softly and walked to the open casement, looking out upon the southern summer's midnight. Beneath the window lay the garden of flowers. Countless white roses, as though censers, swung by unseen hands, waved up to him their sweet incense. Some dreaming bird awoke its happy mate with a note prophetic of the coming dawn from the bosom of the stream below white trailing shapes rose ethereal through the moonlit air and floated down the valley as if journeying outward to some mysterious bourne on the dim horizon stood the domes of the forest trees marking the limits of the valley the boundary of his life he pressed his hot head against the cold casement and groaned aloud seeming to himself in his tumultuous state the only thing that did not belong to the calm and holy beauty of the scene. Disturbed by the sound, an old monk, sleeping a few feet distant, turned in his cell and prayed aloud, Seigneur, Seigneur, oubliez la faiblesse de ma jeunesse, vive Jésus, vive The prayer smote him like a warning. Conscience was still torturing this old man torturing him even in his dreams on account of the sinful fevers that had burned up within him half a century ago on the very verge of the grave he was uplifting his hands to implore forgiveness for the errors of his youth ah and those other graves in the quiet cemetery garth below the white cowled dust of his brethren mouldering till the resurrection morn they too had been sorely tempted had struggled and prevailed and now reigned as saints in heaven whence they looked sorrowfully and reproachfully down upon him and upon their sinful heaps of mortal dust which had so foiled the immortal spirit miserably piteously he wrestled with himself even conscience was divided in twain and fought madly on both sides his whole training had left him obedient to ideas of duty to be told what to do always had been for him to do it but hitherto his teachers had been the fathers lately two others had appeared a man and a woman of the world who had spoken of life and of duty as he had never thought of them the pale dark hunchback whom he had often seen haunting the monastery grounds and hovering around him at his work had unconsciously drawn aside for him the curtains of the world and a man's nobler part in it the woman whom he had addressed as a devil had come in his eyes to be an angel both had made him blush for his barren life his inactivity both had shown him which way duty lay duty ah it was not duty it was the woman the woman the old tempter IT WAS THE SINFUL PASSION OF LOVE THAT HE WAS RESPONDING TO. IT WAS THE RECOLLECTION OF THAT SWEET FACE AGAINST WHICH HIS HEART HAD BEAT, OF THE HELPLESS FORM THAT HE HAD borne IN HIS ARMS. DUTY OR LOVE, HE COULD NOT SEPARATE THEM. THE GREAT WORLD ON THE BOUNDARIES OF WHICH HE WISHED TO SET HIS FEET WAS A DARK, FORMLESS, UNIMAGINABLE THING, AND ONLY THE LIGHT FROM THE WOMAN'S FACE STREAMED ACROSS TO HIM AND BECKONED HIM ON it was she who made his priestly life wretched made even the wearing of his cowl an act of hypocrisy that was the last insult to heaven better anything than this better the renunciation of this sacred calling though it should bring him the loss of earthly peace and eternal pardon the clock struck half-past one he turned back to his cell the ghastly beams of the setting moon suffused it with the pallor of a death scene God in heaven, the death scene was there, the crucifixion. The sight pierced him afresh with the sharpest sorrow, and taking the crucifix down, he fell upon his knees and covered it with his kisses and his tears. There was the wound in the side, there were the drops of blood, and the thorns on the brow, and the divine face, still serene and victorious, in the last agony of self-renunciation. Self renunciation lord is it true that i cannot live to thee alone and thou didst sacrifice thyself to the utmost for me consider me how i am made have mercy have mercy if i sin be thou my witness that i do not know it thou too didst love her well enough to die for her in that hour when he touched the highest point that that nature ever enabled him to attain Father Palamon, looking into his conscience and into the divine face, took his final resolution. He was still kneeling in steadfast contemplation of the cross when the moon withdrew its last ray, and over it there rushed a sudden chill and darkness. He was still immovable before it, when, at the resounding clangor of the bell, all the spectral figures of his brethren started up from their couches, like ghosts from their graves and in a long shadowy line wound noiselessly downward into the gloom of the chapel to begin the service of matins and lauds chapter four